Orthodox Church, they have this tradition. It goes something like this. The day after Easter, they devote themselves to telling jokes. Here's why. They believe that if you tell a joke after Easter, it's a reminder that Satan thought he had it won, but God had the last laugh. And so I thought we'd start that way today. Sunday school teacher gets her kids together Easter Sunday, and she talks to them and she says, Kids, who here knows what Easter is all about? First kid, ooh, 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 he's that kid that no one ever wants to call on. And she looked around to look for any other hands and none. She goes, okay, little Kyle, uh, what is Easter all about? And he goes, it's the day where we all get together and we, we eat turkey and we talk about the pilgrims. And she goes, no, 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 that's, that's not it. The next one, rolling the eyes at little Kyle, okay. What's your last name, Clayton? Okay. Um, what, uh, what is Easter all about? He goes, huh, this guy. Easter is when you get a Christmas tree, you decorate it, and you sing songs. The teacher's like, oh, my word. How did they get to my class and not know what Easter's all about? But see, then, little Dale raised his hand. <laughs> Said, Actually, Easter is all about the cross of Jesus on which he died and was put into a tomb. And then three days later, and the teacher goes, ooh, wait, y'all all listen. Little Dale's about to tell y'all what Easter's all about. Okay, little Dale. Three days later, Jesus came out, and if he sees his shadow, he goes back in at three more weeks of winter. Some of y'all taught that class, right? You're like, oh, I've got plenty of little Kyles and little Dales in my class. Welcome to Easter. Here's the thing about Easter. It's under attack, like never before. Uh, several things. One is this. Let's all admit that some of y'all have heard the news that Easter in its term is not really a Christian text word. You heard somewhere that it was associated with a pagan holiday. And somewhere along the line, Christians in history took over the word Easter. We put it on the Resurrection Sunday. And today we call it Easter. And maybe you heard somewhere along the line that there's a whole group of people that are now declaring you can no longer call it Easter. Y'all heard this? Some of y'all Googled this. You know good and well you heard it. You went online. You went, oh, what is Easter all about? Oh, pagan right? Let me tell you what Easter is and isn't. Jesus doesn't need the word Easter, and really neither do you, because it's not about a word. If you try and find Easter in the, in the, the text of the Bible, it's just not there. So here's the thing. Don't go home and pull out your cross that says Easter Sunday out of your yard. It's going to be okay. Don't hit the panic button yet, okay? Here's what we should all remember today. Today is all about the celebration that our story absolutely changed on one day. Here's what's ordinary. What's ordinary is that in Scripture it says there's a appointed man wants to be born and then die and then the afterlife. So here's what's ordinary. 
A man named Jesus shows up, and he is a good teacher. That's ordinary, by the way. There's lots of good teachers in Jesus' day. In fact, he questions that word. Why do you call me good? And so there's lots of people teaching, lots of disciples of people. For those of you that are Bible scholars, y'all can remember that even John has disciples, right? And so that was ordinary. Jesus isn't even that great looking. We get that in Scripture. It says there's nothing about his appearance that would draw him in unto himself. He was not a Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel is a good-looking dude. Jesus was ordinary in looks, but it wasn't about his looks. People weren't drawn to him because he was on the front cover of Jerusalem Quarterly. People were drawn to Jesus because he did some things that were extraordinary. How he taught in the temple was so different. You see, all along people followed laws. They thought that's how they got to connect with God. They followed the laws. And what's worse is this. Over time, the church began to add extra laws. You may have been there. You might have gone to that church where it's not just about showing up and worshiping Jesus. You had to look a certain way, act a certain way. You had to fit within a mold. And so Jesus goes, hey, listen, it's not about the sanctuary here. In fact, if anything, you can know this. My father is bigger than this place. And the worshiping of him doesn't fall on one mountain or the other. Remember the Samaritan woman? He says, my followers that God, my father, cherishes are the people that worship him in spirit and in truth. So it wasn't just that they had a certain name on the board outside of the church. It was about spirit and truth. You see, Jesus changed not only the teaching, he did some things pretty different. He brought a man back from the dead. That's extraordinary. Now, I want to caution you with something, that we just say that Jesus is the only person on the planet that ever healed anybody. That's just not true. In fact, we get this moment in Scripture where his disciples come to him and say, hey, Jesus, this guy over here is healing people. (laughs) Um... Shouldn't he be on our team? And Jesus goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Is he holding the truth? So healing was ordinary. Even the name of Jesus. He wasn't the only person in Scripture with the name Jesus. In fact, he's not the only person in his time where Jesus was ordinary. I mean, it was every other kid in this town or that town had the name of Jesus. But only one carried a second name. That's extraordinary. There's lots of Jesuses walking around, but none of them had the Christ attached. It's extraordinary. But see, here's the thing about all the Jesuses, all of the people that healed people, all of the good teachers, they all had one thing in common. They all died. I know that's a terrible sentence on an Easter Sunday, right? You're like, oh, this is going to go really well. Honey, when are we leaving? Um, They all died except for one. Three days in a tomb. His disciples waited in anguish. They didn't really get it. In fact, at this point, they've all kind of huddled together They're afraid. They don't know what to do next, really. They've been following their rabbi, their teacher, the Christ, and he is dead. 
They watched him die on a cross. This Jesus that they were following is now, in their mind, no more. And so they waited. And here's the crazy part about it. You would think that they would have shown back at the tomb on the third day because Jesus said, on the third day I will rise again. On the third day I will rebuild the temple. Remember, he kind of tells his disciples this several times. That's not why they show up on the third day. Here's what's happening in the Bible around Jesus' death. They're experiencing a festival. And the reason they had to have Jesus' trial at night was because if he died, they could not touch him, and that's why they needed the Romans. Because, see, they could put him on a cross, but the Jewish leaders who were about to worship a holy God could not. So, pass. They watched him die on a criminal's cross, and they went back home to worship. There's this tomb that's been borrowed Joseph of Arimathea has this wealthy man. He has a tomb that's not been used. And by the way, you didn't loan out your tombs. This isn't an ordinary moment where Joseph is just being generous and he's like, well, he can stay there for a few days and then he's got to go. That tomb is ruined by Jesus and his family. You got to understand the sacrifice. Nicodemus goes to his friends and says, hey, we got to do something with this body. <laughs> and so, uh, Give him to Joseph. They wrap Jesus up, and then they have to stop because they can't touch Jesus either. For three days, Jesus goes without the normal procedure of being kept, about being preserved, about the spices being on his body, about taking care of him because it's not time to do that. So at the end of the festival, we pick up in Scripture. John chapter 20 and verse 1. John 20 verse 1 says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, she saw the stone had been removed from the tomb. This is a pivotal moment for Mary. You see, the Romans had decided no one was going to move Jesus. Why would they put a stone in front of Jesus' tomb? Because they believed that Jesus would what? Rise from the dead. And even if he couldn't, they didn't want his followers to move him. Here's the crazy thing about this story for me. They put this rock in front of Jesus' tomb. And they, they sit up there and they say, let no one touch this man. He's made some claims. And the priests have told us this is his move. Put the stone there. The disciples come to take care of his body. So Mary shows up. It's early. It's that kind of early where those of you that don't wake up before the sun rises know what this feels like. It's early. It's quiet. It's still. You just imagine in this time frame, the only light that you would really get is from like a, a candlelight or a torch. It's dark. It's quiet. And here comes Mary, and she is in this darkness, and she walks up to the tomb and she notices it's open. It's a fearful moment. This isn't an easy moment for Mary. This is a difficult moment. So verse 2 says that 
she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, and the, the one Jesus loved said to him, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Do you see it yet? They haven't experienced Resurrection Sunday yet. They, they really believe at this point someone has taken Jesus, and I can tell you who's taken Jesus. Jesus has taken Jesus. Jesus is already out of the tomb. Verse 3, at that point, Peter and the other disciple went out, headed for the tomb. And the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. And he got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloth laying there, yet he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first then entered the tomb and saw and believed. For they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went home again. This passage, John 20 verse 10, is haunting today, isn't it? How many times did Jesus breathed into his disciples what was going to happen and they still didn't get it. They still didn't understand it. Now, for those of y'all that have your Bibles open, verse 11 changes the story. The disciples are there. Mary's back. She's standing outside crying. She's like, what have they done with Jesus? I mean, she's there to prepare him for burial. She's there to preserve him. She's there to do what was right on behalf of someone who has died. And she hears a voice. Woman, why are you crying? She says, listen, they, they've taken him. She turns around and, and she didn't know who it was. And so she just kind of assumes something about him. This guy must be the gardener. He's here early. No one gets here this early except a gardener. And so she says, listen, if you've taken his body, bring it back. I mean, just bring it back. It'll be all right. And then Jesus says a word. He could have said, ta-da! But I think it's the same word that he's going to tell you today. He says her name. He just says, Mary. And it was at this moment that Mary of Magdalene wakes up before a group of 11 men could ever do it. He says, Mary, and her eyes open. What? You really, but, but it, you're alive. And he says this to her, go tell the guys. Can you imagine this? The resurrection story is put into the hands of a broken woman. I love this part of scripture. You see, you could have shown up when Peter and the other disciple were there. Had every right to, was there, but didn't. He waited. He waited for Mary, because she got up early. She had an anticipation of spending time alone with the Savior. I want to just start a conversation with you today, a little bit about what happens when we anticipate Jesus to move. And to start this, I want to start with an apology. And it may sound strange on an Easter Sunday to apologize for something. 
But I, I want to talk to you for just a second about what Jesus intended the church to be, knowing that he's alive. If statistics are true, and I believe they are because they're true in my life, and I'll say it here in a minute and you'll feel this too, that three-fourths of people that attend church are hurt by it. So let's just have an honest moment. You ready? You can participate today. If you've ever been in church and someone has said something bad to you or they haven't included you or you felt slighted or you didn't get the information or someone said that your shoes don't match your shirt, whatever it is, if you've been hurt by the church, raise your hand. It's okay. You've ever been hurt by a church. You know, you just had that moment. Okay? All right. Now, if we're really being honest, there's a lot of you in this room that would never raise your hand about that. Because you don't want people to think that you've been hurt. Well, nothing's ever going to hurt me. I'm stronger than strong. Come on. Here's the thing about church world. When you take a bunch of broken people and you put them in the same room, why do we expect that they're not going to be broken? So I want to apologize, not on behalf of Jesus, because he doesn't have to apologize to you. In fact, if we were the kind of church that Jesus called us to be, broken people would always enter the doors here. I want to apologize because sometimes the church trumps Jesus. We believe the church is more powerful, and we try and fix things that only he can fix. So I apologize because I believe if Ephesians 4 is correct, it says this, now grace was given to each one according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says this, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity, he gave gifts to people. What does it mean, or what does he ascend mean, except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? That's when he came to us. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And this is what the church is supposed to be. For the training of the saints and the work of the ministry to build up the body in Christ. Maybe you've tried church before. And maybe it's, it's true. Maybe you've tried church a few times, but it hasn't really spoken to you. My, my prayer is this today. You quit trying church, and you'd start trying Jesus. Because believe me, the guy that's standing before you, I guarantee you if I had April up here to testify on my behalf of how broken I am, no one would have me as their pastor. But thank God that it's not me who gets to stand before you every Sunday. You know, I pray every Sunday that the Lord would speak over me. In fact, every Sunday morning I come into this room and I pray over your pews. A whole group of people do that every Saturday night and every Sunday morning. They pray over every pew in this place. People walk the halls of this church and pray for you. They may not even know your name, but they pray for you. powerful thing about that is this. When I stand before you, I prepare weeks in advance to preach. But I realize that I could stand up here and give you every word that I think is slick and awesome, but it won't touch your heart. So I prepare, and then right before I walk into the sanctuary every Sunday morning, 
I stop at the door and I say, Lord, empty Kyle and fill me with you. So just know this, the pastor of the church at Quail Creek is not perfect. Our staff would agree that they also have imperfections. I mean, if we're being honest, even the technical parts of how great our Sunday has been has had problems. That's what happens. Maybe your pew is not as comfy as it was last Sunday. It happens. But can I just tell you this? When you come in and you try church and you hope that it speaks into your life and you hope that it fills a void that only Jesus can fill, it's always going to leave you empty. Because holding on to church is not what changes our lives. You see, that day when they showed up at the tomb, they went for the ordinary. And Jesus already changed the story to extraordinary. They didn't get it yet. They didn't catch yet that Jesus was doing something amazing. And now let's talk a little bit of an application. We talked an apology, and I want to tell you, if you came to see Church Hill you, I'm sorry. It won't do it. We can have every program ever assembled on the history of churchdom, and it's not going to heal you. Only Jesus does that. And here's the application. Application is found in John 20. John 20, verse 31, it, it states that Jesus performed so many other signs and miracles. And it, it just, it's crazy how much is in there. It, it just couldn't even fill books. But then 31 says this, but the Bible was written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you may have life in his name. There's this Chinese man named Watchman Nee. When he was little, he grew up in an oppressed society. His, his dad was a communist. His mother was oppressed. And as he was growing up, one of his best friends in high school came to him and just said to him, Watchman, why don't you come with me to this place? All I know is they're passing out free food. And Watchman went, I like free food. And so he showed up. What he didn't know is his friend invited him to a Christian church. For the first time in Watchman's life, he heard the story of a man named Jesus who is completely God and completely man and died on behalf of the sins of every man and woman child on the planet. So that through him, men wouldn't simply spend an afterlife in separation from God, but through him they may have everlasting life now. And if people would believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, he could change their life today. Watchman went home. He was troubled. He talked to his dad about it. His dad said, you will never see that friend again. Watchman sat in his room and he just kept contemplating if Jesus is really who Jesus says he is. And I really have the sin that I have. How could a Jesus like that ever forgive the sins of a guy like me? And so in his bedroom, Watchman got down on his knees as a teenager. And he said, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, I desperately need you. From that day forward, Watchman's life changed forever. Watchman began to read the Bible. He began to ask Christian missionaries for books about it. They said that in about three months' time, Watchman's library at his house grew from one book to 3,000 books. He was kicked out of his house, took his whole library with him. He studied constantly. 
And one day, Watchman was given the opportunity to preach at a church. And Watchman was so nervous, his hands were shaking, he grabbed the pulpit, and all he could get out of his mouth was one sentence. Our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. Our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. Watson went on to lead thousands of people to Christ. He spent the last years of his life in a Chinese prison because of his faith, and he considered it a joy to do so. Your old history was at a cross. But that's not where Jesus' story stopped, was it? He rose. And when he rose, he changed our stories. Because prior to that, our sin could always die on a cross. It just couldn't rise again. I mean, there's lots of people that died for their sins. Lots of them. Two criminals, in fact, on either side of Jesus that day died for their sins. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death, which means this. Our sin deserves death. But that scripture doesn't stop there either. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, everybody's life leads to a cross. It ultimately all leads to a tomb. And I believe this with all of my heart, that somebody in this room today has stayed there. Uh, your plan is just to live as good of a life as you can, to die, and hopefully God will do something because you were good. Here's the problem with good. No one is. In fact, Jesus says that. No one's good. Said my Father in heaven. Right? Like, how can we be good? Here's the problem. Even if we start with the Ten Commandments, none of us can fulfill them. You ever lied? Probably. You ever stolen? Yeah, probably. You ever not observed the Sabbath? Probably. You ever committed false testimony? Told someone that they did something that they didn't? How about this? You ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Had other gods before him? Coveted your neighbor's things? I mean, we have commercials every day that make us covet, don't we? I mean, I don't even need a salad chopper. But I see them doing it, and I'm like, babe, we got to have one. She's like, honey, you don't eat salads. And I go, but I would. I use it to dice steak. Um, works great. We covet, don't we? So none of us has this good thing down. And God knew that we would strive for it. Listen, I believe that God loves the fact that you strive for goodness. I believe he does. It's just not going to be a saving thing for you. Because there's only one way that a man is saved. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through good works. Is that what it says? Uh, how about this? No one comes to the Father except they give a lot of money. Is that what it says? How about this? No one comes to the Father except they volunteer on a consistent basis. Scripture says no one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life that we can hold on to. And so today when he steps out of a tomb, he says this, don't just hope that I can take your death to a cross. Know that I can beat the cross. I can beat death. 
and I can help you to live eternally. Here's the thing. Ultimately, unless Jesus changes history again by coming back, and he will, but when he comes back, he'll change history. But until that point, you and I may see death. It may happen. But I got to tell you, there is a step beyond death. This past week, my grandmother tasted her last day on earth. She was wounded. She was broken. She'd lived an amazing life. And we are so thankful for her legacy over us. She's a great woman. We went and saw her Monday of this last week. And, and as we were there, it was, it was tough to see a woman that you remember being full of life. You know, laughing, funny, just loving. Uh, she used to sing this song to us. I love you, a bushel and a peck. Bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck. A hug around the neck and a barrel and a heap. Barrel and a heap and I'm talking in my sleep about you. So in my room at the house, April found this painting that says, I love you, a bushel and a peck. It hangs in our bedroom. And it's a reminder of, of her legacy in my life. But you know what? My grandmother struggled at the end. And long ago, my grandmother invited Jesus to change her life. And so Monday when I saw her, we each had a moment where we could go up and, and pray next to her and talk to her. She wasn't awake. And as I leaned over her, I, I said, I love you, your great-grandmother, to me. Thank you for all you did in my life. And then I stood back and my dad walked around me. And my dad's one of my heroes. And he leans over my grandmother and he kissed her on the forehead. And he just whispered into her ear, you have been such a good mother. I'll see you there. And I got to tell you something. You and I have both had a legacy of people who because of an empty tomb, we will see in heaven. Who have gone before us, who have lived a life, not a perfection. None of our forefathers were perfect except for one man named Jesus. But because of him, there is a way that you and I can have and hold on to where we will see them again. Aren't you thankful? Man, I'm so thankful. You know, this weekend coming up, we'll get to go celebrate her life together as a family. And I got to tell you how, how thrilling it is to know this. My grandmother, her remains will be buried in Lovington, New Mexico. But that is not where she's at. She is right there in the face of Jesus. And I'm so thankful. And ultimately, that's my plan. I don't know, and none of us knows the length of our days. No one knows the outcome of our lives. No one knows the moment that ultimately we will stop our breath here and take it in heaven. But I can tell you this, I'm not waiting. And neither should you. Today is the day we walk out of our tombs. And we say this, death will not hold me. Sin will not keep me. There is one name that is above every name, and it is the name above my life. And that name is Jesus. Make him your Lord today. Do not wait. Let's celebrate a Jesus who walks out of tombs. Because i got to tell you something. While we may taste death this side of heaven, we will not taste it that side of heaven anymore. No more sorrow. No more shame. No more brokenness. No more hurts. No more suffering. No more evil. 
It has killed that side of heaven. And God has prepared a place for everyone in this room. And I got to tell you, he celebrates today knowing this, that we celebrate a risen Jesus. I said it last week, and I'm going to say it to you today. For those of us in Christ, every day is Easter. Because there's not a day in your life that Jesus didn't rise from the dead for. He doesn't have a mark on a calendar. He leaves a mark on people. He changes us. The last, together let's produce some action. I want to give you a challenge. I want to give you a challenge today to do something desperate. Give it a year. I'm going to ask you to give it a year. Today, if you can hear my voice, I'm going to ask you to give Jesus a year, starting today, from Easter to Easter. I'm going to ask that from this day until next Easter that you do something for me. Try it. Take a dare. Take a double dare. Take a triple dog dare. Spend this year, between Easter to Easter, giving everything you got towards Jesus. Spend time in the Word. Pray. I'm going to tell you, pray every day. Even if you have to start small with, I'm up. Amen. Start. I'm going to ask you to take another step. I believe that Quill Creek is building something big. I believe we're focused on what Jesus has called us to do. And man, I got to tell you how excited I am about what God's going to do in the next steps of our church. But I want to ask you a favor. If it's not here, find it somewhere. Go to church. Give it a year. Strive towards it. Work towards it. Give it everything you've got. Strive. Be there. Be present. Be sharpened in the word, in prayer, togetherness. Do not stop. Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter goes, well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I love you. He goes, feed my sheep. He goes, Peter, uh, one more time. Do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, you know, of course I love you. He goes, feed my sheep. Peter's like, okay. Well, that, that sounded like a repeat, but okay. Jesus goes, hey, Peter, with all you've got, everything in you, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, with everything I've got, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Peter, your life's about to change forever. You don't even get it. But I got to tell you, where you're going is going to be treacherous. Where you're going is going to be difficult. But where you're going, I want you to know something. I am going first. Follow me. That's John 21, verse 19. I want to ask you a question. If following Jesus costs you everything, would you do it? And don't answer yes, because that's a terrible question. But let me ask you this. What if following Jesus gave you something you've never had? What if following Jesus changed your life? I mean, completely changed it. Would you strive today 
to follow after him? Give it a year. Starting today, take a challenge. Give it a year's worth of time following after Jesus with everything you got. I'm saying wake up and start reading the Word. If you don't know where to start, start in Matthew and start going. Maybe you don't know how to pray. Just simply pray a small prayer of something like this. God, I don't even know what to pray. But I know you can hear me. So teach me what to pray. Maybe it's this. God, I know I should pray for my food. Um, Amen. Start. And maybe you'd show up and just say this. I'm taking a dare, so I'm here. What if God could change your life? And what if it started today? You see, Easter is not about one moment in history. It's about a daily moment where Jesus still shows up. And even if you don't expect him to, just like Mary, he's already there. And so today, Maybe this is the start of your year that you just give him your heart. Maybe just start by saying, I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead and he can live in my life. And if that's true for you, you need to make it known. Today is your day to make him known in your life. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is saved, it's exactly who he says he is, you'll be saved. The question is, Do you believe it? Because Easter is Easter, even if you don't. Jesus is who he says he was. Let's pray. Father, we believe that without Easter, we're finished. But praise God that from the very cross, Jesus just announced to the world that what was really finished was what sin could do to people. He not only died for our sins, he rose so we could be victorious over it. So God, we pray that this Easter morning, you'd speak over our lives again. God, that you'd guide us. God, you'd remind us that our old life ended at a cross, but our new life started with that resurrection. And God, today, may we be reminded of what Easter is all about. Let us not get lost in a bunny. Let us not get lost in the trappings. May we be found in Jesus. So Father, move in this place. Speak over our hearts. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.